if you buy a mobile home park that's at 300 rent, right? If you increase the rents by $30 per year, in year five, you've already increased the NOI by 50%. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Oh, wait a second now. I got to ask you to say your name so I don't mess up. <laughs> I, I would say Esfandiari, but. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's Esfandiari. Oh, or you could just not say my last name. Like I had a, I had a guest on my podcast where I just, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm just going to butcher it. So I just said his first name. Pasha. So yeah, whatever. Just call me Pasha. Who cares? There's probably not too many, uh real estate investors that have your first name either. No, it's not like a Bill or John. Yeah. Hey, just a John. Yeah. John <laughs> just, Smith. Yeah, just John. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Um okay, you can you can always say your last name if you want, but I'm probably going to just skip it. Just skip it. I don't care. All right, you ready? Let's go. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexhammer. Today, I'm excited to have Pasha. Pasha, how are you doing today? I'm really good, man. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, excited to have you on. Uh, we had a pleasure of hanging out with you, what, a couple of weeks ago now. So excited to have you on the show. Uh, real estate professional and uh, really just making his name in the industries. Got over $300 million in transactions under his belt. Uh, and Pasha has a wealth of experience in various asset types, residential homes, boutique motels, large multifamily properties, mobile home communities. Uh, you founded Evoke Capital about 16 months ago mm -hmm. and since built a thriving portfolio over 1,300 units. Follows the philosophy, and I love this, of people first, treating every investment and tenant with care and respect. Which is definitely uh, definitely awesome and maybe a, a breath of fresh air sometimes uh, <laughs> for some other people. Um, and then uh, beyond that, uh, Pasha is also a personal development enthusiast, spent the past 10 years working to better himself and help others as well. So with all that said, uh, Pasha, whatever I miss, why don't you just fill our listeners in with a little bit more about your background and then we'll dive in. Sure. How do you, how deep do you want me to go? Is just professional a little bit about yeah, every whatever. little bit of everything? All right. I mean, whatever. I, just, I, you know, it's, I don't it's want just... to bore people with the details. No. Well, um, then don't then don't bore us. Yeah. You know? Okay. Just, you're right. <laughs> tell us what you want and uh, what's okay. going to get us excited to listen to you. Sure. I I uh, my father uh, immigrated us here in '87. Really had to essentially a big kind of critical part of the the whole story is you know I had to raise myself. Uh, my father's being a single father, and so kind of just went down this path of uh, really kind of figuring it out, right? Uh, I knew college wasn't for me, quickly dropped out of college, got into poker, was a poker professional for about five years, traveling the world, playing all the games. Wow. And then really realized around the year of uh, when I was like 26 years old, right around there, um, decided I really wanted more in my life, right? Uh, I made a good income playing poker, but it was never going to get me to that next level, and I wanted to create something. And I got into personal development, took that on for two years, had like, I just dove really deep into it. And was from there, was able to take a step back from poker and really 
learn the systems of real estate, uh, learn, learn how to flip my first home. It's actually a mobile home in Las Vegas. I made every mistake in the world, but still made about $3,000, got the bug. And then from there on, I just attacked real estate um, kind of uh, as furious as I could. That's awesome. That's awesome. A po- I've never talked to a uh, a poker player that just, yeah. you know, other than maybe somebody who's addicted to poker, but you were making <laughs> the- real money playing poker. You weren't losing money. I was, I would not be playing poker if I was losing money. Yes, that is yeah. correct. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Um, what did you learn doing that? Did you learn anything like valuable that has helped you out, you know, now? Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that translate from poker. Um, some that annoy my wife um, because I'm always thinking in terms of probabilities. That's like the first thing. So anytime mm-hmm. I do something or I text my friends about like, if I'm going to come somewhere or something, for example, I say, I'm like about a 64% chance of showing up tonight. Right. So I always break things down into a statistical number. So just to give better odds to, and then also, uh, you know, there's a lot of other things, how I think about long-term, right? In poker, you have to be successful, not by short-term results. You're only successful by making the right play consistently over time. So it teaches you how to mm-hmm. always do the right thing and always be consistent, always follow the math, right? Also, just you know, to mention, it teaches you how to be aggressive. And be aggressive means you find an exploit in somebody's pattern. And then you have to be aggressive with your chips to go after. So you, it forces you to take risks. It also forces you to always be studious and always be reading people and always reading between the lines and try to become a human lie detector, essentially, um, because it's just a game of incomplete information. So, yeah, it's really transformed who I am. I am so blessed to be a poker player because it's easily helped my decision making and how to quantify things and how to look at the big picture uh, of my life. Yeah. Remind me the next time we hang out to not play poker. Uh, I guess, Please you don't. Know, if I do, just <laughs> yeah. I'm not betting any money. We'll, we'll maybe bet some potato chips or something like that, but but not money. Well, we could bet a little something. You know, yeah, it's a recession. But... I'm, let's make a little money. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, okay. So well, talk about your business now. So you got, I mean, a lot of different stuff going on. And are you still doing... You know, when I read everything, you know, you got the the residential homes, the boutique motels, the large multifamily properties, the mobile home communities. Are you still kind of doing all of that or do you have one main primary focus or where's that at? Yeah. So um, I quit developing about, you know, 16 months ago, kind of like we said, when I started Evo Capital, but I'm still unwinding some properties. Some some were still in in the pipeline to get developed. So I'm unwinding all of that. Uh, I recently sold my boutique hotel. Essentially, it's all into mobile home parks now. So that is my strictly number one focus. Um, I will underwrite an apartment complex if it comes my way in the market that I'm in. But really, I'm not looking for it. I'm not doing any broker outreach for it. It is all strictly 100% mobile home parks at this point. So why mobile home? Why not multifamily? Why not boutique hotels? Why 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 did you go? Let's let's focus on mobile homes. Sure. I mean, it's a great question. So for at least for my investment portfolio or not my appetite my investment appetite mm-hmm. uh, i'm a really big passive income guy i like cash flows i also wanted to be de-risked 
right? So when I bought my apartment complexes, they were always in class C areas and class C apartments, and you could build some equity into them. And really what I found with mobile home parks, uh, it was just a lot more of a consistent cash flow, consistent yeah. tenant base, um, and I can make higher yields, right? So uh, that's another thing in poker is I learned that I don't necessarily want to be the best poker player. I never really cared if I was the best poker player. I never wanted to play against the best poker players. I just wanted to go where I could make money. That's what we call game selection. So when I switched over to mobile home parks and I found it, it's like game selection. It's like an easier game. In essence, there's a lot that goes into mobile home parks, but it's still, you know, every park that I've bought up to date, other than like the two that we have in escrow, that's from a wholesaler has been from mom and pop sellers who are very inefficient in their operations. And this is where we excel at. And so I'm able to get into an untapped market still that I think is going to get gobbled up in the next five years. And so I yeah. just wanted to attack this uh, as quickly as possible. In addition to that, the tax and the bonus depreciation, which way higher than it was in multifamily. So to me, it was just a no brainer. There's more problems to solve than multifamily for sure. Once so you're on the property level, it's a lot more of pain and headaches, but I always say that the more headaches, you'll get rewarded more in the back end for that. Yeah, as long as you don't create additional headaches during that's that, correct uh, during that time. But so the, the mobile homes, uh, you said you know buying from mom pa's uh, other than a couple wholesale deals that you got coming up. But are you finding the mom pa's through brokers? Or is it true just uh, direct marketing to them? Yeah, no, uh, you know it, it is. As of right now, directly to brokers only and strictly. The way I view it, again, I'm playing a mathematical game here because I'm still able to get really high IRRs compared to the broader sense of the general market, right? Mm -hmm. And so brokers still have control of most of the market. So right now for me, you know, yes, of course, we're, we're actually developing our uh, direct-to-seller uh, section of our business right now, but uh, we're going to be able to cast a wider net right now with brokers listing these mom and pop seller or uh, properties. Yeah. yeah. And are, are you guys, you know, I've, I've talked to, we've had a, a handful of people that, that do mobile homes on this podcast and everybody's got a little bit different strategy philosophy behind it. Um, some similarities, of course, but a couple of questions, first of all, like, is there, a, is there a certain size uh, mobile home that's a target or maybe, maybe a minimum um, size. And then, are you a buyer that's buying all over the country? Or are you focused on certain, you know, certain criteria that that you need to hit? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are buying only in the Midwest, only in red states generally, but we love Alabama, Georgia, Texas. It's where we're really focused, right? Gotcha. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, we we focus on fifty to about whatever after. But really, it's kind of our sweet spot is that that fifty to one hundred and thirty, and in secondary and tertiary markets. Uh, the reason being is we want to stay underneath institutional money, right? And secondly, we want to stay above where most mom and pop buyers are going to come in and try to buy their own park. So we're kind of in this sweet spot, um, and that's how we're navigating. We're kind of navigating uh, within the niche of uh, mobile home parks. It's like a niche within a niche at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that makes sense, right? You're kind of dodging the, the mom pause, you're dodging the institutionals, you're, you've created this, uh, or not, maybe not created, but you're playing in this space. That's maybe 
a little more advantageous to your strategy. And, and are you guys managing it yourself or do you have third party? We're managing ourselves. When it comes to mobile home parks, yeah, most people uh, we have to manage ourselves. Yeah. It is a lot of uh, headaches, let's just say, yeah. uh, up front. And so we want to keep it in-house. We just there's no one who's ever really impressed us when it comes to property management on a broader sense. And so, you know, we're to, I'm, I'm pretty OCD about how I like things to be ran and operated. And so same with uh, my team. And yeah. so we, we self-manage. And the last thing on that is, is are, are you guys um, hiring? Do you have to like hire a, a new person per property or how, like how, yeah. how are you guys managing that aspect our team is growing you know we've definitely hired a regional and about two employees now underneath the regional to handle all the back end and we have somebody and it's park dependent right depending on the size of the park sure. we'll have a, like a property manager the whole time also our scalability now we have a lot of presence in alabama so if parks are close to each other we can share some resources that way but we always for sure no, no matter what, have eyes and ears on the park, letting us know, checking in us with every single day, what's happening, putting out notices, letting them know what's, yeah. what's going on. Um, and that, that might be a smaller park, you know, in the, in the parks that are over a hundred units, we have somebody there all the time. So it's very dependent. It's also market dependent, location dependent. Yeah. Do you guys like to keep the, keep the mobile homes or do you try to sell them off and just have the, the real estate? We do not like to keep any of the mobile homes. We're incredibly conservative that way. We don't go after big infill plays. We've seen a lot of operators get in trouble that way. Mm. We do not like park-owned homes. If we ever were to buy a park-owned home or park-owned homes uh, that comes with the park, we automatically will try to RTO them, which is rent to own immediately. We just want to own the land. We're not going for a cash grab. We'll just literally just kind of almost give it away depending on the price that we bought it at at a per unit basis. Well, why, what's the, what's the trap with infill? What's the, what's the issue with that? <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing about infills. Um, now it looks really sexy. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of operators that are doing infills on a big scale and make a lot of money from it. And they're doing it very efficiently, but it's also very, very market dependent. I think what people happen to do is they go online, they read like, Hey, we're going to go to this park. And then uh, depending on the market, they're like, I'm going to go get all these new homes in at like, let's say $50,000 all in, which is kind of a base model, right? But depending on the market that you get in, if you're mostly a mom and pop buyer, you don't realize that that 50,000 price point is a little bit over where the tenant should be, right? Hmm. That works for bigger markets. And so, yes, it looks great because then you have like the equity multiple on the cap rate and it's just like, oh, I'm going to make all this money. But then really you have a hard time getting people qualified for those homes or People are not going to pay you back as fast. So you're not going to be able to infill as much as you can. Now, the strategy that we take is we buy used homes only. We don't have, we haven't even touched new homes yet because we know how to cater to the tenants. We have found a lot of operators who get in trouble by putting new homes for tenants that may not be able to afford it. And then it's just a scaling issue. It's just sure. really hard. Um, so we're a lot more conservative in that sense um, than most. It's actually the one thing that keeps me up at night is infills. So. <laughs> What, what, um, what, what are some like, you know, uh, you, you're self-managing, you've got these homes there, there's not just in one location, not exactly, you know, right where you live, not in the town you live in necessarily. What do you do to, uh, like maybe some systems processes that you guys are doing to really, you know, 
make sure things are running smoothly. Is there any like specific tools or things that you really count on? I mean, look, you, we have all the back systems, like I'm sure everyone else has access to, like Rent Manager, all of these programs. I think my team does an incredible job of getting our eyes and ears on on the property. And we know exactly what we need to do. We know exactly what we're going to have to get done to that property. And we really trust our, our people that are there. But we're always asking for videos. We're asking for photos. We're asking for constant updates all the time. Mm. And then on the back end, we try to eliminate friction right? Let's get them on the system where it's all on the back end. Let's get all the money in on, you know, digitally. And so everything can be tracked. There's no cash handling. That is one thing that we absolutely do that we do not allow cash payments. We tell them from day one, and a lot of tenants do come in and say, well, no, this is what we're used to. And we're like, well, sorry, it's not going to happen this way anymore because it just streamlines everything. So we try to take all, all the responsibility and put it onto our back end systems and so that we can manage it in house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pasha in the, in the beginning, you know, we talked about the personal development or or I mentioned that you've worked on yourself for a long time, personal development, help others with personal development. Um, Obviously it's a super important part of being successful, right. With, with what you've done, what are some really, I don't know, like, give me, give me like, one or two things that you think like most people just are missing or lacking somehow that sets, you know, sets you or and other successful people apart. Yeah. Uh, I think there's two things that come to my mind right off the bat and I'll talk about both of them. One is taking about taking full responsibility and one is having a vivid, clear freaking vision. Okay. So the responsibility part, I'm going to give an extreme example And this is what my mentor did to me one day to teach me what responsibility really means. Okay. This is an extreme example, but this is what she said to me. She said, Pasha, once you take full responsibility for your life in this way, everything will change for you. Okay. I'm talking about responsibility to the level that on the 9-11 attacks, it's your responsibility. Because if you wanted to, you could have became a CIA agent. You could have uncovered it. You could have figured it out. You could have penetrated the Taliban. Like if you really wanted to, this was your responsibility. Like that, that eliminates the victim mentality. That eliminates like, oh, this person was a jerk to me. Yeah. It eliminates all of these things that like, oh, that person's just this way. But I bet you there's some person that can get through to that person. There's some person that that person wouldn't be a jerk to because it's a standard and how you put yourself forward. Right. So taking full responsibility for everything in your life really can will start to transform everything on a like a visceral level. Man, you can't just it, say, Oh yeah, take responsibility. Yeah, it's easy to say take responsibility, isn't it? It's a lot harder yeah, to actually do it. Uh and it's so easy to put blame on other people, put blame on the market, put blame on, you know, whatever it is, lack of this or too much this, or it doesn't matter, but it's so easy to kind of blame that and take the personal responsibility away from yourself. Yeah, for sure. So it's just so much easier, right? And to not have to say, oh man, how did I screw that up? How did, how am I going to have to get better? Um, how yeah. And then my second one is, is it, is it just like a, is it just a, like you've just been working on it for years or how, how have you yeah. gotten there? Do you still struggle with it? I think, so I think there's some people in the world that bless their hearts. They can take it a concept and change their life immediately right? I am, I am like the tortoise, man. 
I find a concept <laughs> seriously. Like yeah. I, I, I like will find a concept. I will read a book and I will implement one thing for three months. And like, yeah. this is what I do because again, like I'm going to go back to this time and time again. Like I do, I do very long-term thinking and I'm lucky to be blessed that I started thinking this way like 15 years ago, but really applying it maybe 10 years ago or 12 years ago, whatever, doesn't matter around that time. And, uh, and so I'm always able to think like, you know what, it may not, like, I don't need to transform everything right now, but I want everything to stack on top of each other. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a great book about it too. It's called habit stacking, but just, it just keeps compounding. It's like an IRA account. You just keep putting it in and then that, then you build another level. And then like, once you reach your, a level in the three months, then you have another level to achieve. And then you learn something else and you keep wanting to apply it. And I promise you within two years, five years, 10 years, you're just like, holy shit, I'm this far. I can't even believe it. Right. So I think people get yeah, too like yeah. beat themselves up too fast. To, they have to change overnight, but no, just realize that we have another 50 years to live. And so you can do so much in 50 years. And yeah, so, so good. So good. Yeah. And then the, the other one is, is a vivid vision. You know, I get, I get asked this so many times and I've said this so many times. It's like, what do I do in a situation? Should I go left? Should I go right? I'm confused. I hear this all the time. What do you think I should get to? What sector of real estate should I buy this? Should I buy that? And I always just ask this question. It's just very clear to me. You do not know what you want for your life. Like yeah. you don't know what you want 10 years from now on a visceral level and you haven't worked your way backwards yet. So just go get really clear on your vision. So clear that you're like, you're being pulled to that vision. Like there is no other decisions you can make other than that 10 year vision for yourself. And so everything should be working towards that goal. And I had a mentor, the same mentor, actually say like, you have to get so clear in your vision, not just like write it on paper. You have to understand what smells it is. You have to like live in that moment. You have to know how much is in your bank account. You have to know what your wife is wearing or husband or whatever. You want to know what the sounds are going to be. You need to taste it in your mouth. You need to know exactly what you're doing. And I do that every 10 years. I build a 10 year visceral vision for myself. And then I just, I'm drawn to that goal every single day moment in every single decision that I make. So I never focus on short-term. I just only focus on long-term. Yeah. I mean, look, everyone, it, it, you, you can't get there. You can't get to where you want to go if you don't know where you want to go. Right. Yeah. You, you have to understand where you want to go. And I and love the, you know, I can, I can, I can see it. Right. I, I can see exactly what you're saying. Like just, you need to know how to, you need to know how to smell it. You know, you need to know what yeah. it smells like, looks like, feels like, how, what, what, how much money is in your bank account? You know, what, what your spouse Everything. is wearing, like what I, your I dog smells like. It that, just has to be. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, uh, I think I listened to it in another, another podcast. Somebody was talking about, she was talking about writing down like where your life is in 10 years. And you're basically writing your story down of where you are in 10 years and you're writing all the details and like, this is what my kids will be doing. This is what, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's so cool. And and I did that exercise and it's amazing how like so many things are actually coming true on what I wrote. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to stack on top of that too. Um, I also do a bunch of vision boards and all that. But when I write my vision for myself, um, I get myself into like a peak state, like confidence. Like I don't do peak state every day, but like when I'm writing a vision for myself, 
-hmm. I do it with the utmost confidence because that way I'm thinking in a very powerful way. Yeah. And then when I think in a very powerful way, then I'm going to be drawn to that powerful, uh, you know, Pasha 10 years from the line. So is there, is there something you do to get yourself in that peak stage? Is there anything? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a little silly. I mean, it's not silly, but like, you know, I'll jump up and down, yell, yeah. do push ups, flex yeah. my muscles. You know, it's a little vain. I'll go look and like, I'm not, I don't have a six pack or anything. I have like more body fat than I'd like, but I yeah. still go look at myself. I just get myself pumped up. I mean, it, that works for me right? It doesn't work for everybody else. I, I don't know. It's like probably a little silly if someone like saw me through the window doing this crap, but, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It, it works for me. What neighbor's doing again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love that though. Yeah. You got to get into it, but you got to be excited about it. If you can't be excited about it, it's just like, well, that's probably the wrong vision, right? So it's probably, exactly. probably not going to happen. If you're not excited, if you get your vision down, you're just not pumped up, not excited, not totally into it. Yeah. It's, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. Um, what's a mistake that you have made, you know, over the last few years here and how have you learned from it? I'll tell you a mistake. That's um, the first thing that comes to my mind. It's not the last few years. It was probably about six years ago at this point when I first got into development, I essentially trusted somebody and got me into some bad development deals. And so there wasn't enough due diligence done. And, you know, he was in charge of it at the time. And I just trusted him because he had done some development deals. And, you know, I was still learning it before I really got into mm -hmm. it. And he just got me into some bad deals that costed me some money and some time. And uh, so just to be really, really careful on who you pick, right? Yeah. I think that lesson taught me such a valuable uh, lesson for the rest of my life. And thank God it was for small deals. Right. And thank God it was then and not when I'm dealing with like tens of 20 millions of dollars, but I was dealing with a few hundred thousand dollars. Right. So mm -hmm. I always see the silver lining in that, but be very, very uh, careful on who you pick as a partner right now. But I, I also think you can run a lot further with partners instead of being a lone wolf. Cause I was a lone wolf for most of my life. And so when you do pick that right partner, man, you guys can fly together, but be very, very, very picky about it. Is there anything you, or, you know, like certain things you look for when you're? Yes. Yes, I what do. You look for. Um, look for past actions. Don't ever buy into words. Don't. People can talk left and right. They're very good. There's a lot of people out there that can have the gift of gab, right? And like naturally, as humans, we want to believe others. Yeah. Most people do. We would just naturally do. It's who we are. You need to start evaluating their past actions with a fine-tuned comb, their past track history as well, right? And so if somebody comes to me and doesn't have a track history, well, I'm just not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll give them some merit now. Like yeah. if they're really intelligent, they've driven, I'll give them small bite-sized things to do, but I won't give them the reins. And so you really need to see the track past history. Also, this is really important to evaluate people non-emotionally. And if they do something one way in any section of their life, they're going to do that in every other section of their life, right? So if they lie to you on like a personal level about other people, they're probably going to lie to you in business, yeah. right? So people just are, are a set of patterns reinforced time and time again. So look out for yeah. those red flags. 
Yeah, great, great advice. Just because they're not necessarily doing something in the business right now doesn't mean it, it's going to tr probably translate, right? If, if yeah. they're lying or if they're behaving in a specific way in their personal life, it's just going to translate, end up translating the business. Maybe you won't see it right away, but it's going to probably poke its head. So yeah, love that. Um, what do you, so more homes, um, I, I, you know, I don't know that market as well. What do you guys see in uh, what's, you know, right now, you know, early 2023, what do you guys see in the mobile home uh, industry as far as transactions and just opportunities and what are you looking forward in 2023? Yeah, look, um, I think what we're experiencing is what everybody else is experiencing at this point. There's just no supply and mm -hmm. sellers haven't really came back to earth so much. And yeah. so nothing, we're not seeing distressed properties yet. It feels like we're teetering on the verge of seeing some distressed properties, proper, uh, properties, but we haven't really seen it yet. Plus, I also know that there's a crap load of money on the sidelines just yeah. waiting to be deployed, right? And so even in our fund, like we just have a massive wait list, which is you know crazy to me, but people want to deploy capital. Um, so I think I'm not the only one that has that problem. I think kind of with everybody. And so we are starting to see that sellers are coming down a little bit because of interest rates, but they're not coming down a lot. We've been banging our heads over uh, the wall for months now to try to find any deals. And luckily we finally got these uh, two deals in escrow right now. Uh, and so we're still doing the diligence. Uh, I'm not saying they're a lock, but at least we're starting to get some momentum. It feels like. Gotcha. Are you able to get the same, like, so in, in multifamily, for instance, we, we've got several different types of loans. Are, are there, is there a lot of people that have bridge loans out there that, you know, are risk are at risk or, or maybe even, maybe even local bank loans, construction type loans, or just higher yeah. risk loans are, is there, is that uh, posing a threat at all? Cause it is a multifamily. Yeah, not really. I mean, so I, I think the ones that could potentially have that, and I haven't really heard about it are, the ones that have a really big infill play uh, and bigger properties, right? Because it takes a lot of capital to come in and they, they expect it to refi and then supply chain issues, this and that. Yeah. But not really. I, ha I haven't heard of too many people. Like typically mobile home parks, the way that gets underwritten is so secured by the lot rent that we have. And it's so hard for tenants to typically move because it's so non-transitory based that you don't see a lot of defaults on mobile home parks. Right. And so, and banks are pretty conservative when they underwrite mobile home parks. Now we'll get the same kind of loans and terms typically that multifamily does. Um, but there's nothing that's super creative. It's not like we're going to go new construction or not these massive renovation. Now there are some, don't get me wrong. There are some, it's case by case basis, but I would say at least from my experience on the wider uh, general sense of the market, no, not for us. Because I've asked every single bank, can you please get me some like foreclosure ones? They just never do. <laughs> is, is your so. <laughs> well, that's a good thing too, though, right? Yeah, uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, as a there's buyer, people who get in trouble. Home. Yeah. The most I see is that people buy a mobile home park and they're like, I did not expect it to be this much freaking work. And then they just want to sell it. And they usually kind of, they just want to be done and take a yeah. small loss or break even and yeah. just get the hell out. Because it is, it's a lot. Sure. Um, 
I mean, but ca- you know, cash flow is good, right? Appreciation yep. is maybe maybe not quite there. But it's still good. No, I I would say it's there it for is? sure. Oh okay. yeah, equal like, let me to give... like a multifamily or something like that. I would argue sometimes more. Sometimes better. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you an example. It's like if you buy if you buy a mobile home park that's at three hundred rent, right? If you increase the rents by thirty dollars per year. In year five, you've already increased the NOI by 50%. And if you're a good operator, you should be reducing the repairs and maintenance. Usually, typically, we're getting it, the repairs and maintenance around 45%. We can get it down to 30%. So we're kind of hitting on on both homes, and we're not murdering Mm -hmm. our tenants, right? But it's very obviously, again, market dependent. But that's just a pretty easy example of what you can kind of see in these, you know, smaller markets. Love it. Love it. Small By smaller markets, um... What are you talking about? Secondary tertiary Secondary markets. Yeah, just staying away from the main big guys. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. love it. Those are all picked off by institutionals already. I suppose. Um, All right. Well, let's switch gears. I got a couple last questions, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, Favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners? Favorite book of all time is Think and Grow Rich. I read that every single year. Yeah, once a year. Once a year. I think that's a that's great. I, tr- I aspire to do that. I fail every year, but <laughs> I aspire to do that. I probably, I probably yeah. get to it once every two years in reality. I love that book. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book. It's, it's a great it, book. It, it's um, totally changed my life. Oh yeah. But yeah, I changed a lot of people. That's maybe the book that's changed the most people's lives other than, yeah. I don't know, you know, the Bible or, you know, whatever. Uh, so last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Um, easily the first one is be patient and think long-term, right? Like every, if you're going to build something that's bigger than yourself, you have to think long-term don't think short-term results. Um, and then the velocity of capital is really important. It's not only am I investing my money, but it's also how fast can I get my money back to de-risk my investment? And it kind of runs along the same vein of Warren Buffett for rule one of investing is don't lose money. Mm-hmm. And then um, really, you know, once you start getting into the higher tax brackets, it's about like, you know, what kind of tax incentives do you have and tax like harbor sheltering can you have? Because yeah. then your like trajectory of money goes like a, a much higher uh, than it would if you're going to get taxed a lot. So just taking advantage of that. Love it. Love it. Man, this has been really good. Um really appreciate I, I love talking about a you know, multifamily but i love talking about different stuff so it's been fun to like dive yeah. into these mobile homes a lot and a lot of good philosophies too i love listening to you just really talk about what you learned in your poker days and how it relates to to life yeah. and to business that's really cool never i would have thought about that you know when i asked the question i didn't even know what answer i was going to get i thought maybe he's you'd be like I don't know, nothing, but you answered it so beautifully. It was amazing. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Pasha, how can our listeners get in touch with you to learn more about uh, what you got going on? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can just easily go to my website, www.evocapital.net, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Pasha Svandiari. Um, I usually respond within a day or two. Cool. Awesome. Again, thank ben, you, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate being on. Thanks. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up, go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.